Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, Adriana de Prado, that we could have envisaged a world where wellness was peripheral to education, where wellness was something that was done after you did the serious stuff, the content, as if you could remove the whole perspective, the whole being of a human being and just do learning without it. This series of the Game Changers podcast is focused on that notion of wellness by design. And we've taken wellness from the periphery and we've put it back into the center where it belongs. And we've looked at the way in which wellness can be designed and delivered through a whole range of people, of place, of purpose and of practice. I can't wait to review this series of Wellness by Design for the Game Changers podcast with you, Adriano. Let's go. Well, Phil, it's just great to be with you again. I hope you are enjoying uh, the delights of freedom up there in Sydney. Uh, I've been really blessed in the last couple of days here because Melbourne spring has finally bloomed and our, our weather is beautiful each day. And I'm really looking forward to the transition from spring to summer and and seeing some light at the end of the tunnel about uh, getting out of these restrictions. And every time I see those numbers come down, I'm really joyous about the collective efficacy of, of Victorians in our, our effort to um, kind of uh, eradicate the situation that we find ourselves in. So great to be with you again, Phil. And it's really interesting what you just shared about the notion of wellness by design, you know, because during this particular global pandemic, you know, for mine, Phil, I've been inspired and encouraged by the actions of so many individual educators and learning communities to kind of rethink what education can be and should be in the future. And, and it was really clear in our continuous learning toolkit, volume three, Wellness by Design, as you, as you mentioned at the top of this show, we kind of highlighted that across all continuous learning models during COVID-19, those schools which have continued to thrive have operated effectively and compassionately at a personal, relational and community level. And, and they have responded to adversity by promoting qualities of curiosity, of creativity, and of challenge, and of course of character. It was complemented by a significant focus on the social and emotional resilience and resourcefulness of all the students, the staff, and of course the families. And, and, and what has been central to all of this is that people really matter. And systems need to be reshaped to meet the needs of people we can't tell you the number of times that we've heard educators simply tell us wellness comes first. Look, I think it's really, really helpful for us to think about a continuum of what's been going on because it's not as though our game changers in this series suddenly discovered wellness in February. They've been doing this stuff deliberately and intentionally for years now what our present circumstances have done have accelerated the process of thinking about the person and whether or not the systems and structures are designed to do exactly that which you said. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about for, for years now through the work of Circle and now A School for Tomorrow is the idea that systems and structures must bring people together to promote a sense of belonging, to help them to achieve their potential and to increase their propensity to do that which is good and right in the world. We can't have the sort of mid 20th century system which was about breaking things down into pigeonholes and taking people and saying, well, you fit in there, 
you fit in there, you fit in there, you fit in there, which is that sort of divide and conquer way of managing things as opposed to a much more synthesized, much more collaborative, much more complex, but much more human-centered way of doing that which we need to do in schools, which is to promote the character competency and wellness of the learners. So, you know, before we do get into unpacking each of these uh, wonderful conversations we had with the Game Changers in, in Series 3, why shouldn't what you've just mentioned be the norm always? The, the pursuit of excellence, especially academic attainment, really matters to us at A School for Tomorrow and, of course, at Game Changers. And we can't help but wonder why we would ever have thought that wellness was something that was a binary opposite to high standards or something of secondary importance or, or as you mentioned at the top of this show, a simple add-on or, or somebody else's business in education. An excellent person understands that their wellness is, is foundational on which their good character, competency, achievements and contributions are built. So shouldn't being well be simply part of the better normal? All over the world, there's a growing consensus that our educational systems are broken. In series three of the Game Changers podcast, we encountered educators and social entrepreneurs that shared big ideas on how learning communities might amplify the position centrally of wellness by design, as we support each young person to move not only from resilience, but of course, to this powerful position of resourcefulness, of self-efficacy, personal aspiration, adaptive expertise, voice agency, and advocacy. You know, answering your question, uh, Adriano, I'm, I'm, there are a couple of thinkers who come to mind here. There's, there's, there's the great Israeli behavioural psychologist, Danny Kahneman, who teaches us that if you think you can beat the odds, you can't because they're the odds. But it's very human to feel as though that we can. And coming out of that sort of post-Second World War, post-Depression era, where the individual was sublimated to the needs of society in the group, where a sort of a stoic, even Spartan way of dealing with things uh, was deeply imbued into the character of society. I think perhaps the byproduct of that within our education systems was that you just had to kind of put up with it. Mm. That if it was tough, it was difficult. The true test of character was the way in which you forced yourself through the difficult times and you just made it work. Translated, of course, this means that we've ended up reducing so much of what happens within schools down to narrow and inhumane practice, such as examinations, and you know how much I've fallen out of love with examinations this year. We've narrowed it down to things that don't even measure the things that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The second person I keep thinking of more and more and more is, is, is the American theorist and, and journalist and, and educator, David Brooks, when he talks about the road to character. And that notion that he has that I, I guess that was born out in so much of the research that we've done around character, which suggests that we value greatly the notion of adversity and the development of character. And this is something that I struggle with greatly. I guess through my own lifetime, your own lifetime, every, everybody around about our, our, our age would resonate with this sort of thing. The idea that your true character comes in a time of adversity when nobody is looking, which is, of course, a nonsense. That's a form of character that we grow and that we develop. 
but there are many other forms of character too, which are just as valid expressions of ourselves. And the idea that we could be more fulsome in our character because we put ourselves in a situation where we have a deficit of wellness, to me, is crazy. It's woolly thinking and it's time that it went. Each of our series three game changers, you know, feel recognised that the delivery models of schooling that we've become so accustomed to are no longer relevant. The true courageous leaders lead through crisis by addressing the real challenges and findings of today with a lens on tomorrow and often of the kind of morbid symptoms that are, that are, that are brought on into sharp focus as a result of such things like a global pandemic. Our series three game changers in many ways have done exactly what you've just said there about this notion of leveraging wellness because they wake up brave and afraid for the challenge ahead with a deep understanding that it's time to choose to allow our students to go on this journey of discovery that will give them the character, the competency, and of course, the necessary wellness to be a generation of happier, healthier, more confident young people who can truly thrive in a new world of tomorrow that is their world. So let's get to the first episode, our very first guest off the top of the show, this, this uh, dynamic learning community in India, Dream a Dream by co-founder Vishal Taljraya. You know, Phil, for me, Dream a Dream is this, well, maybe give some facts for, for our listeners. Dream a Dream is, is this kind of not-for-profit organisation in, in Delhi, uh, India, positively impacting upon the lives of young people from vulnerable backgrounds to overcome adversity and flourish in this kind of fast changing world. And one key aspect of our conversation with Vishal was an insight into the deep and um, uh, uh, development and implementation of their happiness curriculum. This kind of happiness curriculum aims to equip students with the necessary skills so that young people can better deal with things like anxiety and stress while thinking critically. And they placed wellness at the center of all their learning interactions at Dream a Dream. Yeah. And the, the, the thing I like about it, Adriano, is that it's, it's not peace, love and mung bang stuff. When you look at what they've been doing, it's a 20 year journey where they've piloted things carefully. They've iterated on their model. They've, they've adopted uh, a, a really fast spread train the trainer model. They've got really well tested and proven techniques. This is really good methodology when it comes to educational development. So it's, it's uh, again, this is not just, just something that, you know, Vishal woke up with one day and walked into the office and said, we're going to do this and rolled it out all over India. It's a very well thought, considered and implemented program. And, you know, it was, it was profound to hear the reach of this program. We know that India is a highly uh, densely populated country uh, and Delhi in particular, uh, but, but millions of young people now in that city are being impacted upon. And in fact, the reach goes beyond his own country. There are actual countries around the world, which, which we highlight in our continuous learning toolkit of wellness by design, of which countries now are adopting this kind of happiness curriculum philosophy. And so it's really exciting that there are educational bodies and governments who are prepared to recognize that a well society is a well society. I think that understanding the simplicity of that lies at the heart of trying to make something like this work, be it in a school, a part of a school, a group of schools, a system or so on. It comes down to 
uh, that sort of Jim Collins good to great thing, it, it, you know, and, and Vishal and in his own way he approaches thing, he characterises so much of that, where you've got that, that combination of humility and willpower and the capacity to bridge the apparently irreconcilable gap between the two. And part of that is just to call it for what it is. If we want kids to learn better at school, particularly in a vast country like India, where there are huge disparities in opportunity, in wealth, in outcome, in all sorts of social and economic and political structures, then we need to ensure that we've got the right things that we're aiming for. And, you know, it would, it's, it would be very easy in a large country to view the output of education as simply a mechanical set of examination results for competitive entry into a limited range of opportunities. It's things like this which turn it around because they're based on the assumption that it's not the 2 or 3% who matter. It's every single child who matters. It's every single human life. And that's why so much of this sort of thing corresponds with the stuff that you always talk a lot about, which is that human-centred design. Yeah, and I think this, that leads us nicely to episode two. Episode two with uh, the amazing uh, Leslie Medema, you know, a, an individual who has continued to devote so much of her uh, being to that of the other. I love this quote from Leslie. Learning doesn't only take place in a school or a classroom. We are here to teach you the skills of learning. You can take that from here and learn anywhere, anytime, from anything. Life is learning. That is the concept we want our children to learn, that learning is wallless. You know, when I, every time I see that particular quote and that, that phrase wallless from Leslie from uh, the Green School International, the key word with me for all of this education, therefore, is relevance. For education to remain relevant in today's world, the future of education and schooling must evolve. We know that. The content and the style of teaching hasn't changed much over the last few decades. However, it must to ensure that education remains relevant. Leslie eloquently highlighted that a new renaissance in education means that we need to restructure our relationship to learning and life, our relationship to the planet, and our relationship, of course, to the world of work. And that we need a different educational model that has a value shift to new learning ecosystems that allow us to meet the basic needs of every human on the planet in order for them to thrive in an era of constant uncertainty. And, you know, it's not as though there's some sort of funny binary thing happening with the Green School. You know, they get their kids to the right sorts of academic outcomes as well, too. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're, they're very carefully designed what they do. And again, they haven't rushed into it. Although you'd be mistaken for thinking they might have because you can get carried away with Leslie's amazing, bubbly, infectious enthusiasm and her intelligence and her profound understanding of learning. And you can just get swept along. Her leadership, though, and that of her colleagues in thinking through all the different aspects of it and having the courage to put a very far-reaching vision up in front of them. And to step up and towards that is so, so inspiring to everybody. And we've had lots and lots of responses from our listeners and from those who gathered at our Game Changers Global Gathering in the middle of the year, wanting to know more about what Leslie and the team have been doing at Green School International. I want to explore this notion of vision 
when we now unpack episode three with Nathan Chisholm, the executive principal of Paran High School. Andrea um, Zafaruku, the 2018 winner of the teacher of the Global Teacher Prize, she spoke uh, about the future of education at Davos last year around this kind of unlocking children's futures. And she stated the following, we need children to be the problem solving generation. And unless we teach them problem solving skills, which come from the creative subjects, it simply won't happen. I believe that these kind of human skills that Zafiroku refers to are central to the kind of educational renaissance and learning vision that Nathan Chisholm and his team at Paran High School are framing through their deep interrogation of their values, challenge, curiosity, creativity, and character through fostering a learning community that allows each young person to thrive in this new environment with kindness and wellness at the centre of that vision. Yeah, it, it strikes me that uh, what Nathan and the team are building at Pran is just so civilised. It's a really lovely way of doing learning. And it, of course, it's because they've taken the time to think about the journey, the pathways that students take and where they can end up and the outcomes that they need to achieve, all of the sorts of things that, of course, our research is showing that really good schools around the world do. Now, they're deliberate and targeted and intentional about what they do. And although there's plenty of room within the curriculum, within the learning experience that the Pran High School team are designing for serendipity and for moments to occur, there's so much thought and there's so much care that goes into it. And, and, and you know how I feel about this next thing, Adriana, what seems organic, mm -hmm. what seems effortless is actually the result of so much preparation and so mm -hmm. much care and so much attention to detail. Mm -hmm. Organic is a word that's best left with steak and vegetables. Well, perhaps uh, evolving is, is, is a better word to, to describe what we continue to see unfold in dynamic learning communities that are open to the possibility of not only themselves, their place, but of course, the, the profoundness of the other. That takes us now to Tracy, episode four. Tracy Bruce, who is the uh, principal at Kurikuri High School in New South Wales, Australia. That same Davos event that I just mentioned a moment ago, also in 2019, had Jack Ma, the founder of the Alibaba Group, you know, China's biggest e-commerce giant. And, and he made this following statement. If we do not change the way we teach 30 years from now, we're going to be in trouble. That the knowledge-based approach of 200 years ago would fail our kids, who would never be able to compete with machines. Children should be taught soft skills like independent thinking, values, and teamwork, he said. And you know what? Tracy gets it. She knows that the jobs of the future are the ones that machines can't do and continues to focus on cultivating the whole person as part of the whole of the learning framework at the Kurikuri High School. While adhering to all the kind of regulatory compliance that she's required to, Tracy continues to find opportunities to enable, to equip and to engage all learners in discovering their possibility. Yeah, she doesn't muck around, does she? No. No, she just, she, 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 She's very well considered about what needs to be done. She and the team have done the research. They understand the type of learning that's more likely to produce the graduate outcomes for you know, today's learning for tomorrow's world, to quote the title of an earlier series that we did of the Game Changers podcast. What's really clear is that her leadership style just will not brook 
the sort of prevarication and delay that we see in so many other places. They're on a mission. They're purpose-driven. They know that every day, every minute, every month, every year that they waste is another cohort of kids going through without the very best possible preparation for their future. And certainly in the, in the school community that she serves, you know, again, there's a very wide disparity of social outcomes for families in that region. And as a result, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting for the very best for all of their kids. And I, I really admire it. There's so much courage in that approach. There's very little preciousness and there's just sheer commitment to providing the best possible outcomes for the kids in that school. It's just, I found the conversation with her both very funny because she's a very funny lady, yeah. um, but also, and, and also just thoroughly inspiring. Yeah, we, we continue to be really blessed, I reckon, you know, Phil, doing what we're doing with Game Changers because we continue to encounter inspiring individuals that give so much of themselves so others can shine. You know, and and another example of, of what I, of that is, of course, David Ferguson in episode five. Uh, and I, I'm sure I'm going about to pronounce this incorrectly, but I'm going to give it a go. Tukana Tiana is a, is a Mara concept referring to the relationship between the older sibling, the Tukana, and the younger sibling, Tiana, and, and, and he's specific to the teaching and, and learning context. David Ferguson, although not Maori, embodies this concept as the principal of an all-boys school in New Zealand. He assumes the responsibility of the older sibling. He understands deeply the profoundness of the character apprenticeship between the teacher and the student and the growth gains from the positive social exchange between the two. It is a shared learning and development partnership between someone with experience and someone who wants to learn, resulting in a mutual reflection, learning, growing of both Tukana and the Tiana. David gets this responsibility in supporting boys to become young men, the multiple masculinities of all young men. And he's also on a, on a mission to transform learning through the construct of character. Yeah, there's, there's so much about what's happening at Westlake Boys High, which is redolent of both very traditional and very contemporary uh, understandings of that married term mana, you know, of, of your standing and the notion of respect that is built up all around that I, you know you, you, when you walk around west like it's a big school you know it's two and a half thousand kids That's huge. Um, there is a calmness about the place and a sense of purpose that radiates out from the leadership it, it's interesting having david and westlake on as part of this series because you know if you compare what they're doing to places like green school for example mm -hmm. which has got looks very different to the sort of school many of our colleagues work in. Westlake, on the other hand, looks very similar to that sort of school. It's a fairly traditional school, and yet it's, it gets it. It really gets the character thing. It really gets the, the graduate outcome piece. It really gets the professional learning piece. It really gets that you need to step forward and keep stepping forward. What it does is it makes sure that, that no one gets left behind. And, so, and it's a really, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's a real privilege for us to be associated with that type of school, as well as some of the, the more out there sort of places that, uh, that are there and doing amazing things as well. Yeah, you know, um, I, I believe the young men of Westlakes are, are blessed to have a role model in David, uh, who continues to present uh, in the way he does of, of great care and affection for them and, and with them. That leads me to episode six, 
Debbie Dunwoody, the, the principal of Camberwell Girls Grammar School. Well, another, another remarkable conversation of another remarkable role model. You know, when I think of Debbie, I think of the word of permission. She's one of those rare leaders that fully understands the power of permission. The word permission has agency and movement and is kind of central to Debbie's leadership style, one that is open to the inherent possibility of all members of her community at Camberwell Girls Grammar School. You know, Phil, we need more leaders like Debbie in education who park the ego at the door. She listens and, and, and more often than not responds with the, the powerful word yes, especially empowering her staff to trial ideas and take risks, leveraging design thinking as an important framework to find positive solutions to these kind of wicked challenges that keep being presented. The truth is, I kind of want to work for and with Debbie. Yeah, look, all of that, and yet she doesn't park her responsibilities at the door either. And as a result, she is quite happy to equip, to empower and to enable, but still exercise really good judgment. And, you know, you'd go a long way before coming across a more informed educator than Debbie. And, you know, she's, but as he said, you know, again, she's got no tickets on herself. She's just a, a delightful person who delights in the learning and achievement of others, be they staff or be they students. And again, you know, if I, if I look at that wellness by design approach, if I compare all of the game changes that we've seen, and particularly those at that leadership level in schools in this series, that question of judgment comes to the fore again and again and again deeply considered, deeply interested in the lives of others, willing to engage, willing to empower other people, but at the same time, exercising really good judgment about how to make far-reaching change possible in schools and also to pivot on the, to use that overused word of, not, of 2020, to pivot on the moment of COVID-19 and to say, okay, We've been working towards this for a while. Now, how do we use this to keep moving forward? Yeah, I, I love that phrase, keep moving forward, because, you know, 2020 has been a year like no other for so many of us. Another overused word, of course, is unprecedented. And, and this notion of keeping moving forward is, is so relevant, particularly right now for our friends and colleagues in the United States who are approaching... Uh, a critical point of, of, a, of another election for the president of their country. Of course, a critical point when it comes to the continual uh, challenge uh, and the civil unrest around Black Lives Matter. And how do we find a way forward through all of this? How do we, how do, we do it in a way that respects the dignity of all uh, and is inclusive and, and celebrates diversity where representation matters? And that brings us then beautifully to, of course, episode seven, Jonathan McIntosh. The World Economic Forum's 2020 publication, Schools of the Future, Defining New Models of Education in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, stated the following thing about prospect schools that Jonathan works for. Many studies have shown that New York City's public school system is among the most racially and economically segregated in the United States. Prospect schools, diverse by design model, aims to address this challenge by creating truly diverse and integrated learning communities where students can gain a deep understanding of the ways in which alternative perspectives drive innovation and creativity. Well, diversity, inclusion and representation matters. And Jonathan and the work of Prospect Schools in New York, they understand this deeply. This conversation with Jonathan for me, you know, amplified why people need people. 
and that every young person is home to a unique life. And how poignant is it that we had that conversation with Jonathan during this current climate of Black Lives Matter? Yeah, really interesting guy, isn't he? I mean, it's, it's when, when, you, when you're looking at somebody who's working within a very specific context where social mobility really, really matters, then it becomes crystal clear, doesn't it, that you can't sacrifice quality of outcomes for quality of experience or vice versa. You need to use both of them to complement each other. Uh, you know, he's a highly, highly intelligent man with a very, very sharp understanding of exactly what is required for the students in his community to succeed beyond school and yeah. then to translate that back into strategy and culture. You know, culture doesn't eat strategy for breakfast at, at, at you know, with, with, with Jonathan and his schools because the culture and the strategy are aligned with each other. Absolutely. And, it's highly intentional. Really, yeah, really, really well articulated um, in there. Um, plus a very urbane person as well too, I found, you know, just a really, really well-informed educator. The sort of person who, you know, if you're a parent walking into that school, you would feel confident that here's a leader amongst a team of leaders who really know what they're doing and are not only going to care for um, the students, they're not only going to um, look after them and help them to be well, but they're going to help them to make progress and to succeed in their lives. Because again, being well, part of being well is you've got, you've got to do well. You know, you can't just stagnate. You know, it's, it's, I, mentioned, I mentioned at the top of, of this episode, you know, Danny Kahneman talking about, you know, if, if you think you can beat the odds, well, you can't, but it's human to think that you can. I'm mindful very much of, of, of Carol Dweck at this point and her thinking around that notion of growth. To help children to grow, you need to understand the staging posts of their journey. And my sense is that Jonathan and his team have a really clear understanding of that. I want to now move to episode eight. This is kind of this episode kind of rounds out the 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 series proper before our, of course, we touch upon the two gentlemen from our special series. And in episode eight, we met a pretty remarkable young lady. But I'm gonna read you something first. We are seeing a growing consensus around a shared conviction that character, competency, and wellness is the whole work of a school. This work needs to empower the emerging voice and agency of students on their pathway to adulthood as they wrestle with what they think about their mark, their sense of fulfillment, their measure, their sense of validation according to what others expect of them, and cultivate and put into practice values, beliefs, and actions. Now, Phil, does that sound familiar to you? Oh, that sounds like the, uh, the, the, the half-insane ramblings of some bloke with a beard, really. But, you know, really, really, that's, that's the work of our team and its sure. research over so many years. Sure, it should sound familiar, and, and you're being far too modest. It is, it is your words. And the question I want to ask here is this, because this relates to our episode eight guest. So we are starting to talk about voice in schools, but do we really do it? This quote from yesterday sums up this amazing life force and human being. Something I really strive for with my students is for them to understand that they have a place in the world and to help them find their voice. It is so congruent with what your quote was about and what, what we believe so deeply at A School for Tomorrow. How can you not love her infectious energy, Phil? How can you not love her passion for young people, 
It's awe-inspiring. And her empowerment of their voice is central to the strength of her pedagogical approach. It's just brief. Yeah, look, it's, I, love, I love the way that her pedagogy is so deeply imbued with her sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she could just be exam cramming. You know, she could just be covering the dot points on the syllabus. But she's got an idea in her mind that to benefit the life outcomes of her students, to benefit their overall sense of who they are and their place in the world and therefore that holistic sense of wellness that, 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 that they need to achieve. She needs to choose specific pedagogies that will attend to the person who's going to succeed. So in other words, there's no disembodied, decontextualized, content-driven sort of approach. The content is, of course, important. Instead, there's a series of tools that are being handled at an expert level in a classroom, which are about helping students to take their place in the world with voice and agency and an appropriate sense of advocacy. I love it. And of course, she's a history teacher. She's coming from one of the creative subjects, Adriana. (laughs) I know it's so important for you to believe that, Phil. Now we move over to uh, our special series our In Conversation with Phil Cummings. And uh, in series three, we featured two young men, Dean D'Elia and and Scott Miller. A a friend to us at Game Changers, the amazing Jan Owen, stated back in 2018 when she was the CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians the following. Over the past decade, there has been a growing consensus that Australia's education and training systems must evolve to ensure they are responsive and relevant to the changing world of work and the needs of the future workforce. Our goal should not be to ensure that young people are simply finishing school, but to make certain that every student has built a portfolio of skills and capabilities with which to thrive in this new economy. The reality is that Dean D'Elia and Scott Miller get this, and they are working hard to equip young people with the necessary enterprise thinking and skills to move from resilience and surviving to the profoundness of resourcefulness and thriving. Two remarkable young men, who continue to find opportunities to help others, particularly our young people, to shine in this new world environment. You know, it's, 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 it's fascinating looking at the way in which both Dean and Scott model that sort of quality of vulnerability that Renee Brown talks about as, you know, the hallmark of, of, of leadership for our time. If you're going to put yourself up there as an exemplar, then you've got to be uh, willing to reveal yourself rather than hide yourself. So that sort of old notion of leadership where, you know, you, you sort of put a wall between yourself and your, your inner world and, and, and the world at large. Neither of these, these two men do that. Dean is a quieter type. Scott's a louder type. Um, Dean, I think, lives in the world of circumspection and occasionally self-doubt, whereas Scott is all projection and confidence and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to talk with both of them. What I found really interesting was their shared commitment to entrepreneurship that was firmly grounded in social leadership. So this isn't just entrepreneurship, which is about making a dollar without heart. Both of them have got very, very big hearts and both have got really quite profound ways of thinking about the way in which innovation, enterprise skills can make an impact on anybody's life 
and for some people can really make all the difference and that those people then have to go on and do something which is good with their lives. I mean, you know, of course, I, I, I love the fact that uh, Dean's organisation, the Prince's Trust, not only are they doing programs for students, they also do programs for um, veterans as well. And that's, that's something very close to my heart. So I love seeing that sort of work. And I love seeing the work that uh, uh, Scott's organisation, BOP Industries, does not only in education programs, but also in a whole raft of enterprise and entrepreneurship and programs that are attending to things that are very close to your heart, such as sustainability and the future of the world and the future of the planet. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I really love that kind of extended play that we've introduced into the Game Changers series and the way in which you are able to go beyond the surface with each of those guests, particularly with Dean and Scott. And as you rightfully said, they're both two very different individuals, but you know, they're rowing in the same direction. And they're rowing in a direction that is fundamentally about helping these young people thrive. And, and I've got to say, you know, that for me has been a clear feature of all of our conversations that we've shared throughout series three. And, and of course, what's also explicit in their work and the work of all of our game changes in series three is this focus on wellness. While some have viewed the use of technology as a distraction during this time, the application of technology during COVID-19 in particular has been an opportunity to prioritise wellness in all aspects of planning and scheduling. This new or better normal of schooling is based on a shared understanding of the significance of the interdependence of learning and wellness as we support each young person to flourish in this new world environment. You know, it requires us to map the connectedness of the whole education for character, competency and wellness. It brings into sharp focus self-direction, self-determination, and of course, self-regulation as critical kind of dimensions in fostering the development of resourceful and independent learners equipped with the adaptive expertise and self-efficacy to thrive in their world. And every time that we, we sit down and we, we brainstorm a new series, and then when the series comes to an end, I just pinch myself, Phil, because the congruency around what tomorrow could look like, creating today's learning for tomorrow's world, uh, is continually being amplified. And we've been so blessed to have Vishal, Leslie, Nathan, Tracy, David, Debbie, Jonathan, Yasoda, Dean and Scott for sharing their stories and their passion and reminding us, of course, that, that all learning communities are fundamentally home to a life. It is as simple and as complex as that, born from this beautiful construct of love, of self for place and, of course, the other. Thanks, Adriano. It's, I've, I've just loved this series. I've loved this opportunity to, to dig into the life stories of so many of our colleagues around the world and close to home. I've really enjoyed the opportunity to share that which I guess our academic side knows because of the work that we've been doing, but then to demonstrate what that looks like through a lived experience. I love the fact that none of these approaches is perfect or even pretends to. I love the fact that they all wrestle with how do you personalise for the needs of every student? How do you align to the expectations of the school community and the broader society? And then how do you integrate that whole framework of education and, and the graduate outcomes on which it depends into an ecosystem that works? I love the way in which it's all a work in progress and that when you talk to any of them, they'll just tell you in a matter of fact way, well, of course, wellness comes first. It's about people. Yeah. It's been a great pleasure again, mate, to, uh, 
to have a yarn with you today, but also throughout this series. I'm really looking forward to uh, to series four. I know I know you've cooked up um, some really interesting ideas. I think the experience that I had with Dean and Scott, who are really exemplars of the type of well, I'm not going to use the term soft skills because I hate that term. Mm-hmm. But you know the competencies mm-hmm. to to learn, to live, to lead, and to work in a manner that would allow one to succeed and 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 to thrive in the world. I'm looking forward to series four, which is going to give us many, many more opportunities to explore what it's like to be that sort of graduate, and therefore to consider how one might construct an education how one might construct learning, how one might construct a class towards teaching people who can thrive in their world. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you hear.